but I had a wonderful faculty member and she was wonderful. She reached out to me, Dr. Callan Klein. I still forget, remember to this day. And she's like, everybody has their struggles. You just happen to found it today. Congratulations, you're human. From Vetex International, this is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nichol. On today's show, I'm joined by Vet, author, social media personality, and potentially the biggest doxy slash Disney cheerleader in the world, Dr. Adam Chrisman. Adam gained his bachelor's in animal science from Rutger University in 2000 before going on to study veterinary medicine at Iowa State, where he graduated in 2004. He's also a rare breed vet, holding an MBA from Aspen University. Adam's career kicked off at lightning pace, initially working in his hometown practice where he ended up chief of staff, whilst also working ER and relief shifts. He scratched his altruistic itch, working both in shelter medicine and in education, teaching on the veterinary assistant program at his local community college. In 2010, his personal brand blew up with the launch of his Dr. Adam Christman show on YouTube, and most recently, the explosion of his TikTok profile, where nearly a million followers consume his content designed to help pet owners and vets connect. Although I must admit, Adam, that at least 500,000 of them are me watching your Doxy versus Softie roulette videos. Sorry about that. If you're confused, don't worry, just Google Adam. But in 2017, he faced a triple tragedy that would put anyone in a tailspin. And after much soul searching, he pivoted again into his current role as CVO of the much loved Fetch DVM360 Media Group. Oh, and did I mention he also wrote and published a book called Honey, Have You Squeezed the Dash Hound? Now, whilst you catch your breath, I'd like to invite you to join something that can help you get ahead in your career as a vet. We all know that imposter syndrome, burnout, and angry clients are real and cause many vets to leave their jobs and careers. But what you might not know is there is a community where you can learn the essential skills for how to be a great GP vet upon which you can build your sustainable career. A place you can get access to mentors, view jobs and practices that care about culture, and access weekly articles and podcasts dedicated to your career. That place is called Vetex and you can access all the resources for free over at vetexinternational.com. Sign up, head to Vetex International now. Well, not now. Listen to the show first. In this episode, Adam offers us an honest and open conversation about his life and journey through veterinary medicine. This is a high-octane glimpse into the world of a high achiever with a huge personality and an even bigger heart. If you've ever dared to dream big, had to deal with hate, or just love Disney or Doxies, then this is the episode for you. Without further ado, allow me to give you this, my conversation with the wonderful, warm, human whirlwind that's Dr. Adam Chrisman. Dr. Adam Chrisman, you say this so much when you welcome people. It's like, I feel like I owe you the return compliment of saying we have Dr. Adam Chrisman in the house. What's going on, party people? What's <laughs> up? <laughs> that is without a doubt one of the most infectious laughs in veterinary medicine. I've got to say that straight off the bat. I love it. Oh, thank you so much. It's so funny to be on the other end of this, like being the one interview, because I'm usually the Barbara Walters. So, <laughs> so it's... Okay, there's a lot of places we could kick off this interview, and I think there's a lot of ground. I'm really excited to explore a little bit more of who you are and, and a bit more about you. You first kind of came to my attention, and your career goes back miles before this point, but first came into my attention when you took on the chief veterinary officer role or chief medical officer role at DVM 360. 
So I'd love to dig into that a little bit more. And I think that's where many of us know you from. But there's so much more to Adam Chrisman than that. So I kind of want to rewind it. But before we get into it, I've got a question. I feel like I'm being gamed. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because how is it mathematically I should have been able to choose one of the goddamn cuddly toys that Clark W. Griswold's going to carry down that ramp, yet nowhere near it. Nowhere near it every day. Nowhere near it. And so you're not alone. I'm in the same boat with you. And I, <laughs> I really think in my head, I was like, oh. And he's my own son, and I should know what my dachshund is about to choose. And in my head, when I record this, I'm like, son of a gun. He's not doing it again. I thought he was going to take down, like, this big-ass, you know, uh, lamb chop. And he didn't. He ends up, he sneak attacks. So he's so funny. He really is. He cracks me up. I kind of want to know where that all started. But but did you know money actually exchanges hands because of that game like there's almost like a betting cabal going on out there now over that piece of so it has turned into this uh so hilarious phenomenon he has been featured in the seventh inning stretch of baseball games where they (laughs) put him on the jumbotron (laughs) and they're like okay up next is clark w griswold so i'll go over like here are the toys that's up for grabs and everything so you hear the audience going like number three number five number six (laughs) Everyone's like, why am I so emotionally invested in what toy he is going to bring down the ramp? You know, <laughs> I can't not watch it, and I get annoyed with the algorithm if it doesn't show me, and I've missed the action. I get annoyed with that. I'm so blown away by the amount of love and the attention and the detail that goes into making your house what looks like Disney for doxies. So actually, first in the most obvious start place, we can dig, we can talk about you later, but let's talk about where this love of doxies come from. You know, so I get asked this all the time about it when I do my TikTok live streams with the pet parents and because they just know how passionate I am about it. And it really did start in vet school. It really did. And so when I was on Shocker, Dave, my neurology rotation, <laughs> need I say more, right? <laughs> and I'm sure like oh, the listeners are like, like nodding. They know. Because when you're on that rotation, it's and as a vet student in your fourth year, you are really doing the rehabilitation stuff with them. So a lot of these dachshunds that had these back surgeries, it really, really disheartened me as a vet student to see these dogs running, enjoying life, and then boom, going either hemiparalysis or just complete tetraparetic. And it really was heartbreaking. And I felt what the pet parents were feeling in those exam rooms. And so I built this rapport relationship with them. And so when I was doing the rehabilitation back in vet school, we were doing the swimming, I kept talking to them. I said, I feel like our paths are going to cross in the future. I really do. Like, I think it's going to happen. And so, you know, cut to like practicing and so forth. I didn't, you know how it is. It's like, it's almost like Harry Potter. The wand chooses you and the pet chooses you. (laughs) And so so I was doing my thing. And along came Cosmo, which was who I wrote the book about because he was a paralyzed dachshund. And I think... Many of us veterinarians have had that, have had a Cosmo in our life when they realized, I can't afford the surgery. I don't know what to do. They ended up signing him over. And I said, oh, here we go. It's about to begin my journey. And so he was permanently paralyzed. We did a whole fundraiser for him, you know, cut to the fact that he didn't, you know, we did everything. He couldn't walk. So he was at the age of two. But Dave, he lived until he was 14. You know, I was expressing his bladder. I mean, I was teaching my family how to do it. And so that will, that 
incredible wanting to survive and just like have that free spirit. Like, I don't care that I can't walk. I still can bark like I'm a great Dane. I just became very hooked into that personality. And so I've done shelter medicine. And then along came another dachshund named Chelsea, who I currently have too. And so I said, oh, and like, and so, and I go, oh my God, am I turning into that pet parent with the letter C's? So like I had Charlie, Cosmo, Chelsea, Connor, like, what the hell, Dave? I'm that pet parent now I became. And I'm like, I'm never going to become that pet parent. And meanwhile, so when I like sent out the blood, even the reference lab was like, okay, we're confused. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how it, it just ended up where I just love their personalities, their little wiggle butts. I host these wiener walks. I know, like, what did he just say? Did he just say wiener walk? <laughs> I did. I, host. I have so many questions. I'm telling you, Dave, there's so many questions. Like, we could go with this. And it turned into, like, this phenomenon where we have over 300 dachshunds that strut their little wiggle butts down the boardwalk here in New Jersey. People get a hotel room for the night with this. Like, it's turned into, like, I've created this dachshund cult, and I love every second of it. <laughs> There's a lot of different ways we could kick off here. And I still want to kick off, but maybe dig into the book a little bit more. Yeah. The process of writing a book's not an easy book, but uh, not an easy, easy one. I wonder if, there you go. Awesome. Yeah. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about, maybe firstly about the, the you know, what was it that inspired you to want to do the book? The process of going through and writing books is, is not easy. And some of the sort of impacts that that book has gone on to have, perhaps both for the pet parents that you've helped, but also for you and your career. Right. If you told me that I was going to be writing a book, I'm like, you're lying, because I'm like, ain't nobody got time for that. And uh, But a friend of mine, Kristen Lady Bryan, who's the co-author of this book, she um, has a dachshund rescue group down in uh, Georgia. And so she was watching some of my YouTube videos at the time. This was like, just when you, I, tell me that you're old, when just like YouTube was just a thing. And so um, I was posting videos of Cosmo. And so she's like, I feel like the your audience needs to have a book on handicapable pets. And so they understand that they can live a normal life. And, you know, this has more of a focus on backs. But we do talk about, like, if they're missing a leg or have one eye or they're deaf or they're blind. And so I said, you know what? You're right. Because I've noticed over the years of practicing, I did tend to see a lot of dachshunds more. Because that's how, and I love that. It's relationship building in vet men. I love it. And so the fact that I felt like my appointment was beyond the 20 minutes or 30 minutes and to talk about paralysis, to talk about how you're going to get them to walk and, you know, what kind of like, what does crate rest look like? Should you do surgery? Should you do corticosteroids? And what are some, all these different modalities, acupuncture, laser, hydrotherapy? And I'm thinking to myself, like, my gosh, like I'm running late in appointments. Like it's just because I'm so passionate about it and I want to make sure I give them the undivided attention. I said, how about I do write a book about this? So that way I can circle back with them. And what I found, and the name of the book is called Honey, Have You Squeezed the Dachshund? And the reason why, obviously, is because you have to squeeze their bladder, fertility right. issues, yeah. urinary bladder. And what this has happened from what I've, it's been so nice. We've collected testimonials of pet owners from around the country and around the world, actually, that have dealt with animals with disabilities to realize, like, you can do this. Is it is it challenging? It has its challenges, of course. But you're going to do it because they love you unconditionally and it's the least that you could do for them. And so this book has changed so many pet parents' lives and dogs' lives too, for that matter, because, you know, there's a Cosmo and everybody is what I say. 
So this book is really good about disabilities and it's in um, vet offices now. They have it in the waiting rooms. They're actually recommending it at the time of when it's been diagnosed. The physical therapy centers around uh, the world now carry the book too. So that way they say, and it's an easy read. There's illustrations in here. I mean, it's super, super easy. And it's not a big book, but it just gives you that like hope, inspiration and education. That I suspect these things might start to become recurring themes. Knowing you, as yeah. I've come to, and just looking at your career from a distance, those things seem sprinkled fairly liberally over over a lot of the work that has has your fingerprints on it. So I, I kind of maybe now is a, a, a good point to sort of dive back into. But um, you know, what, what was it then that drew you into into the void of veterinary medicine in the first instance? Well, when I was, it's one of those things that you hear too, and everyone has their story. But mine was when I was really young too. I. I can clearly remember when I was about six years of age, I, I was just obsessed with nature and animals to the point where mom and dad would take me to the library. I know I was that kid and I would look at dog breeds. I would really like really, really, and not just, you know, look at the colors on this. My mom and dad told me this story too. They said, you really were like learning more about it. And, and so I, I'm the first generation veterinarian. There's no veterinarians in my family. And I like sharing the story to those that are inspired because all it took, Dave, was one dog. That's all it took, you know? And, you know, and so everybody has different stories. Like I lived on a farm. I grew up with breeders, whatever it is. But I just had one dog that I just became incredibly in love with. And his name was Archie. And the fact that I said to mom and dad, like, I want to go with you to the veterinarian to, like, watch and all that. So she's like, of course. And so I had a passion for science. I always wanted to know the why. You know, very mm. curious about diseases, disease states, like, you know, why do they get sick? Like what's going on with birds and, you know, what happens when they're injured? I was the one in the neighborhood that even the neighbors were taking like injured bird wings over to me and I was just trying to figure out how to make it better, you know? And so I like to fix things. I, I was really into it and I love, love science. I really did. I was a kid like, do you remember like Capsella growing up and like those experimental kits too, those lab kits? Oh, like the ones you could just toxify yourself with things that you'd no right. way let children anywhere near now? Exactly right. Like, no wonder why. Like, I probably have 10,000 shrinky dinks in my lungs because I want to put them in the oven, right? How the hell does a shrinky dink work? But who cares? It's pretty cool. <laughs> I just remember mixing up all sorts of chemicals and copper sulfate solutions and all sorts of things to make crystals. Yes. And then you're like, oh, that one went funny. <laughs> and the test yeah, tube exploded. Right. Yeah. I remember saying, like, Mom, I can't taste. <laughs> She's like, you're yeah, fine. My, it was my tongue's gone green. <laughs> I was, like, saying I had the rock tumblers and, like, the lava things, like, growing up, like, all those different things. So, but, um, yeah, that's, I mean, it really was what it was. And so when I went to the vet hospital, too, I said to him, like, I want to be a veterinarian. And, again, this is why I'm so huge on giving back because all it takes is just one yes for somebody to say, when, when you're old enough, come back in, shadow me. And I was about, I was in eighth grade. And um, I said to him, like, okay, I'm here. He's like, ah! my like, that was fast. And so I did. I started shadowing him. And at the same time, I started my own dog walking business. Is like, that you, you about, is that, does that mean you're about 13? Yeah, 13. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so even before then, when I was in fifth grade, I started a dog walking business that transferred me all the way over into high school. And I just took index cards. And at the time, you know, when it was a little easier back then, just put them in mailboxes and so forth. And, um, you know, I ended up having five dogs, five consistent dogs. I was making $50 a week. 
But what that was, and mom was like, again, mom and dad were just like, look at you. And I'm like, look at their behavior, mom. Look at their walking. I'm like really understanding what it means for a dog to be happy, to be aggressive, you know, like how, what a pack mentality looks like, what their teeth, I'm flipping their lips, looking at their, like really curious, you know? So, and what I love is like, I had wonderful parents that helped embrace that and nurture that, you know? So they knew that either this guy's going to be a psychopath or he's going to be a veterinarian. <laughs> So really fine line between the two. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say really fine line. Like, <laughs> so that one dog, and yeah, this notion that fascinates me. It kind of takes a village to raise a child in many ways. Yeah, it wasn't just that. So when you went in, and I'm curious, like, how did you experience then going in through the veterinary practice, and what did your parents do by means of encouraging you? You know. I'm thinking my parents, when you're making your 50 bucks a week, I remember I used to fix skateboards for a living in the local mm-hmm. village. And and when my mum found out, I was you know I was charging people in candy and stuff like that. And uh, when she found out, being from a, <laughs> a socialist background, she was desperately annoyed that she'd gotten this, this little capitalist for a son and made me give it all back, which is just like trying to squash the <laughs> entrepreneur out of me. But here you are, you know, an 11 year old kid walking dogs and doing all of this and, and making some money. And perhaps that's the difference between our two countries played out there. But this is being nurtured in you. What else? Like, what else did your parents do to support you at this formative stage? And and were there any moments where you you were just like, oh, yeah, this is so it for me or any moments of discouragement? What I loved is like, and uh, you know, I'm not a parent to human kids, but what I loved about my parents is they embraced and supported anything that I want to do. They never pushed anything on me, which was so great. Like I have a brother and he was venturing into different opportunities into like the U.S. Army and those kinds of things. And so they're just like, we're here to support you, whatever you want. And I said, like, I'm going to be better. And I put a lot of pressure on myself as a kid. I know that. And and my parents were always like, they had it like, where is this coming from? Like, why are you like, you know, trying to get all straight A's and everything? Because it's like, well, I want to be a veterinarian. I knew you had to be like super smart. She's like, be a kid. Enjoy. Like, I never forget my mom and dad were actually forced me to be like, you need to go play. Go. Stop studying. <laughs> like, you know, but it, they're right. And I did do it because, I mean, that's why I'm so social and outgoing because I love doing it. One thing that they did that I love, and this is what I'm a big advocate for, is I love community colleges. I think it's fantastic. And so they had a summer program at the time for kids. It's called Critter Care. And so it was just like a one-week uh, thing where mom and dad would take me there. They dropped me off for the day. And they would have turtles that would come in. We would have, like, kittens that would come in. And so just understanding different things, playing, touching, feeling, all that different stuff. We had class trips to local zoos. And then I'm like, oh, this is good. Oh, I like this. You know, because easily like a kid could be like, oh, I don't like this. I don't want to do this and stuff. But like it was for one thing. I'll never forget. I was at the zoo and, you know, the kids were looking at the tank. I was looking beyond the tank. I was looking I'm like, oh, what is he doing on the other side of that tank? With that? <laughs> it was with a gorilla. I was like, oh, that's so cool. They're doing something. Are they feeding him? Like I was just like so curious. So I knew that. But then I said at the same time, I need a plan B. <laughs> Because what happens if I don't get into vet school? I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, you know? And so, but I did get interested at the time. I was also, when I cut to um, high school and once I started going into Rutgers for undergraduate, I worked for Johnson & Johnson. And so I was in pharmaceutical company. And so I, I really did like that avenue a lot. And I was like, I could still do animal stuff. I don't have to necessarily be a veterinarian, but I enjoyed the whole component of like working as like a veterinary pharmaceutical rep, that kind of an area too. So that was my plan B just in case. 
Right. The plan A kind of worked out and you got a vet school. What was your vet school experience? I know that's cutting a, a fairly large chunk out of the education process for particularly for you know US listeners and Canadian listeners. But I'm I'm curious about just that, you know, let's keep bouncing around the timeline of sort of education. And if there's something that really sort of jumps out at you, because you you know, obviously you have to do your early degree and you did right. your your animal science as your undergraduate degree. Is that the right way? Right. Do you call them undergraduates? You call them minors? Yeah, undergraduate. Yep. Like a, so I had a bachelor's of science. Yeah. You're right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Before heading into your veterinary degree. But tell me about the sort of experience along the way. Were there any other, uh, ever any wobbles? Did you fit with vet school? Yes. Like, what, what were your struggles or what were your enjoyments of that whole process? I divided into personal and, you know, educational struggles that I had in vet school. And so, Professionally speaking, vet school was very hard for me. It wasn't one where I had to like, you know how there are some students I could just get it and I don't don't need to study or whatever. I'm good for the exam tomorrow. And they like aced it. Not me, you know, 10 highlighters. I was so envious of them, but I struggled. I didn't have that large animal experience too. So like horses was one of my weaknesses. And I remember, I'll never forget, it was theriogenology class, repro. And I remember calling home and I said, I think this is it. I think I'm done because I could not do it anymore. I could not keep them all in a line. I'm like, who is reproduced here and seasonally polyesterous there? Like, I just never, I'll never forget how frustrated I was with that. And so I said to my, and you know what? I love, again, my parents are like, okay. They're like, if you want to come up, we're here for you, you know? And I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, we're not going to be disappointed. We want you to be happy and it's going to be stressed out. But I had a wonderful faculty member. And she was wonderful. She reached out to me, Dr. Cowan Klein. I still forget, remember to this day. And she's like, everybody has their struggles in vet school. You just happen to found it today. Congratulations. You're human. You know, <laughs> right? And she's like, my, I can't even tell you what a cornea looks like. I remember her telling me this, you know, like, she's like, that's why I'm a neurologist. But we all have like our struggles. And so she's like, at least now I, she goes, hey, the good thing is you don't have to deal with reproduction anymore. She's like, you're, like, you're going to get through it. She goes, maybe you tank. And I, did, I got like a C on there and I moved on. And she was right. And I needed that strength to keep going, you know. So, but that was a struggle. And then what, it was interesting because I was a vet tech for many years. And so going into the fourth year was so fun for me because I'm like, I was teaching the other. Like, let me show you how to place a jug cath or a catheter. Like, that was nothing, Right. And meanwhile, others might be struggling. Mine, I'm like, I got this, you know? <laughs> Some of the best vets I've ever worked with, it's notable that those who have been a technician or nurse before going to university yeah. have just got a different level of game coming out the other you end. You really do. And even just your when you do like your community practice rotation too, and the fact that I know how to talk to somebody about euthanasia. I know how to talk to somebody about financial limitations. You know, things that maybe those are your soft skills that you try to develop as a veterinarian. But I felt like I had those as a vet tech because you're basically in those exam rooms while the doctors are leaving doing their thing. So I kind of know what like the, you know, you know how it is. Like, you know how like the pet parent is what their wants and needs are. So I, I really excelled in exam room and bedside manner, which was so important. I, and I still think it's obviously one of the most important things. But that's why I really... And then I realized as a veterinarian, when I was coming out of vet school, I'm like, Adam, you don't need to know all of this stuff. Like you have an, we're going to have an incredible colleague of people that I can lean on. I feel like, let me build on my communication skills. The fact that 
I don't know, Dave, how to replace a hip, but I know somebody who can, and I know how to diagnose that, (laughs) you know? So like, I think, and I say this, what makes a good veterinarian is knowing your limitations, you know, and just being transparent. I think that's so important. I love that you said that. And it, it just sort of bears repeating again, because how many of us have that feeling like we've just got to be the most knowledgeable person, right. the, the smartest, the quickest, the, the, you know, we can't afford to have any gaps. Otherwise in some way we're failing, but in itself sets us up to fail because there's just no way we can know all of this stuff, but that we are team vet for want of a better phrase. Right. And tapping into that is a very powerful thing. What were the things that you, and I reference any parts of your career here. I'd love to, there's so much in here. You know, you, you've done a lot of stuff in veterinary medicine, sir. Yeah, I love it. That. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's just, I read through your, your sort of resume and it's like, this is the pick and mix shop of what to do with a veterinary degree and just, just try a bit of everything. Right. Right? Like just, you're going to be pissed off if you've not squeezed something out here. You know, and I really do want to mention this because this is something really worth mentioning. And I give a, a talk about this at conferences because the versatility of this profession is incredible unparalleled, Dave. It really is. I mean, if you think of, maybe I don't want to do small animals, go to large animal. Maybe I want to go into zoo. That's just one area of like decision-making that you could do within this profession. But then like, if you don't want to practice, you could do what I'm doing and what you do too. You know, so there's so many different things. And I do love to dabble into all of those different aspects of it. Do you think, and this is kind of an off the wall thought, but you know, it's almost like to an extent, we're so wedded to the concept of being a clinical veterinarian that we almost feel a little bit like we failed if that's not not the thing we're doing. And I wonder if it's a more healthy way for us to think that, you know, perhaps you're just paying your dues in one field and it's it is a giant pick and mix shop life. Like there isn't a one size or one way fits all. That's why I really like the most about your career path here is just the variety and, and how you've actually, you know, you've experienced. And I think actually experienced is the word because I, I haven't lived in your shoes, but I bet you've experienced the good, the bad and the ugly from every role that you've stepped into. Yeah. yeah here you are still laughing still smiling, putting a grin on all of our faces with the work that you do. So I've totally lost the thread of where I was taking that question in the first instance. As a good podcaster, I am. Right, (laughs) you're doing great. You're doing great. You were mentioning that I was just thinking to myself too. Like, you feel like almost like if you want to leave private practice, you feel deflated or defeated, and you Mm. shouldn't. And so, you know, I'll never forget this when I actually made the decision to kind of leave from practicing 18 years full time to go into this position. I had one woman, a very very good client of mine, really went below the belt at what she said to me, and I. It really resonated where I actually went home and cried because she's like, I know your veterinarian's oath. You're supposed to take an oath to save my dog. And now you're leaving and you're quitting. I said, I thank you for your feedback. You know? And I drove home thinking about that. I was like, I think she's right. You know, like, like we, I remember walking across that stage of that school, taking that veterinarian's oath. And then I'm like, am I still going to be good enough as a veterinarian if I'm not physically touching animals every day? And I'm like, you know what? screw it, I am. I really had to come to like a terms with it. I mean, that's a tough pill to swallow for someone to say that to you, you know, because again, we enter the profession from our hearts too. And so, you know, I, gosh, I was like, maybe I am like, you know, defeating Daisy. Like I'm not going to take care of her like a geriatric care now. So, but 
You have to do what is right for you. And like we say this all the time, like self-care is not being selfish. And this is a decision that I know that I needed to do because my personality is bigger than the exam room. <laughs> and I wanted to resonate my message even further. And so, and then I went back to her six months later into this position and I reached out and I said, I just wanted you to know, you know, what you said really, I really, I didn't say took offense. I said really mattered, you know, and I want to thank you for saying that because I had to digest that to see and unpack like really what it is. And I want to give you an example of what I'm doing now. I said, I am educating and providing continued education to your veterinarians now so they can be better practitioners to your fur baby. I said, I don't think it gets any better than that. And she's like, wow, that is amazing. I said, I know, right? So like, it's a changed mindset. And I know you talk a lot about this too, which I love. I love, love, love your talks on your podcast because you're so big about talking about mindset and well-being. And it really is, oh, Dave, like you talk about this and changing your mindset really does change your actions and makes you feel better about what you do. Okay, so there's a couple of things there. I think it would be really interesting to kind of dig into a little bit more. One of those things is the Hippocratic Oath. The other is then the way that we choose, and I choose the work very intentionally there, to react or respond to things that are happening and how there's almost a culture war developing between clients and veterinarians. Now, I want to park that for a second, but I want to go back there for your, your thoughts and insight on that. But the Hippocratic Oath, particularly through the last two years of COVID, we've had millions more pets introduced into the new families. We have had incredible strain placed on our systems with reductions in efficiency through curbside, through staff outages, through burnout, people leaving. Massive pressure on the system and and it doesn't feel like we're through this, what may not just be a bump, but maybe something a bit more problematic. The Hippocratic Oath and the conveyor belt we've all felt like being on. I wondered if you had any opinions on, are we being set up to fail by this thing? Do you want me to add a little color to that or do you want me to just leave it there and let you chew in it? So I don't know if you know this, but there is a petition to have that change. Did you know that? I did see that recently. Yeah. I saw it and I thought it didn't go far enough because I saw the change right. was to include something about well-being. Right. But in a sense, I think this oath binds us. And, you know, for example, we are legally obliged or mandated to never turn an animal in suffering away. Right. And I can't help but think that part of this obligation, this feeling like we are the last and the only line, and this feeling of, you know, you mix in the perfectionism. How many of us have burned out or worse, committed suicide because we just got to a place where we couldn't handle it anymore? And there's there's a hopelessness in it never ending. How linked in, and I'm not saying scrap the Hippocratic Oath, but it's a moment of great pride for us to walk that stage. But are we baking in some degree of failure or just masochism? Like it's just one giant martyr party. I know. I really agree with you because, you know, how many, so say that to the owner, I'm just just hypothetically giving you a situation, say that to my practice owner, right, that, I'm taking in, you know, a raccoon that got hit by a car or whatever, and they just walked off and, you know, here we are, and I'm trying to stabilize it and take care of everything, worried about rabies, all of that stuff. But yet my boss is chewing in my ear right now because I'm not making any money right now because no one has a bill to flip. And do that again with a hit by car from a cat or a, you know, dog fight. 
and they just coming in, they're dropping off kittens at your hospital. 100% agree with you about that too. Because, you know, and I see the social media posts that a lot of veterinarians are writing about this particular situation too. It's just like, you know, I'm not good enough. My boss is like chewing me a new one because, you know, people, veterinarians have actually, I don't know if many people know this too. Veterinarians are actually paying themselves like to take care of these animals. They're putting them under their accounts. They're trying to do anything they can. They're actually not being compensated for their own time. What are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, that scares me. That worries me. Because meanwhile, you have student loan debt. You have your family to take care of. But yet, because we care, we love so much what we're doing. Like, yeah, I'm willing to like lose an hour of my time or put it on my bill or whatever. I'll take care of the dog. I did it myself, too. I did it for a dog that needed a cystotomy. I paid for it. And I was like, you're right. What are we doing? You know? As practice owners, I've done it over and over and over again for people, yeah. sometimes just fully knowing that they have no intention of paying, but you just can't live with the fact that you didn't try in this instance. Right. How have you reconciled this in your career? 18 years in the front line is a long time. How did you manage that sort of pressure either to say no or to manage the fallout from saying yes, or to manage your own mental mm-hmm. well-being through that time. Because you did, I mean, just looking at your resume, you've lived the sort of, I'm going to re- reference and edge myself here by saying Doc Hollywood or, or you know, that, that hill town, yeah. not hill town, but hometown <laughs> kind of wholesome local community sort of veterinarian. Right. You've done ER, you've done, and you've had your struggles through those. But I wonder if you could speak to that specifically, like managing the pressure to, to fix everything. Yeah. You know, thank you for chatting about this because I'm going to share something with you that I've never shared with anybody before. And being a hometown veterinarian sounds amazing, <laughs> but it had an incredible amount of pressure to it. I mean, I'm going to say that again. Being a hometown veterinarian is great, but it had an incredible amount of pressure. These are people that I grew up with, my high school friends from elementary, middle school, my teachers people from church, my own human doctors, like everybody in town, you know, like where I go to the car wash, (laughs) everybody. And yes, I have this personality, which is so humbling. Like people trust me, but at the same time, please save him, Adam. But you know what? You cut me a deal. I only have 50 bucks. And I know like we're good for it, right? Like you're, you're good for it. And what do I do? So initially I was like, okay, sure. Okay, sure. I was like this punching bag. My accounts receivable was through the roof, you know? This is when I was just an associate vet, not like the chief of staff in my practice. And I was like, shit, <laughs> you know? So I had to set boundaries. One story too, Dave, I got to tell you this, is I was living in the townhouse when I first started practicing. And um, in the middle of the night, someone broke into my house, right? In the townhouse, because our neighbor broke in, her dog was having a seizure. And she's like, Dr. Christman, she had flashlights coming in. And I'm like, Am I getting murdered or what's happening? She's like, you know, uh, Sydney's having a seizure. Sydney's having a seizure. I'm like, am I dreaming? Like, what are you doing in this house? You know, she's like, I, it was like two o'clock in the morning. And she's like, please, please. She's like, now, mind you too, Dave, like the, what's even worse about this is there was a 24-hour emergency hospital across the street from where we lived, across the freaking street. So I could have just literally just held her hand and walked over. So again, what do I do? I could have been like, get out of my house or whatever. But no, what she'll do, she'll like bash me. My neighbor should probably throw like dog poo on my house, you know? 
So I was like, let me go see. So I stabilized the dog and everything, got her all situated. But I said, I don't have any tools. We got to bring She's like, well, you got to take her. I can't do it. I'm so upset. I'm like, so, you know, take her over. She did fine, of course. Got to but those things, coming home to my partner, Chris, at the time, we're, now we're married, but we were just like seeing each other. He's like, I hate to do this to you, but he's like, here's a stool sample from unit number 39 on their dog. This one brought a urine sample in from unit 22. And I'm like, again, so again, all these little things, they may seem like nothing, but it builds up over time. It builds up. And so the expectation was so, so high. And like, they will say things jokingly, but it really did go below the belt again. When they're like, well, don't kill my dog when she's under anesthesia. Or I know where you live. I know. I know. You know? <laughs> so what I did is I allocated. I took a big sigh of relief and I said, you know what? I'm going to have you see other doctors in this practice. You can still stay here, but I want you to see other doctors. I think it will be so much better. I can facilitate the conversations. I could be a second pair of eyes on x-rays, ultrasound, whatever. I'm still going to be here. But I want you to see Dr. X because I think they're going to be really good for you. And I made it sound like it just made sense. And everyone's like, yeah, absolutely. But more than happy to. And then I started realizing I'm taking on too many new clients, too. So I said, I'm going to see Ali. We had 10 doctors. So I was like, you're going to see this doctor. Be made. I'm going to be right here. They can text me if they need anything. And it really did help, you know, because and I want that to really resonate with your listeners, too. Like if you feel that you're getting so many on and hopefully you're having more than one doctor practice that you're at allocate them, give them up to somebody else. You're not kicking them away, turn them away, but there's only so much that you can have on your plate at the same time. It's kind of straight back to that boundary setting and, you know, being able to let go It's at, at university. Right. That was, I need to know everyone in, in your early career. I need to fix everyone and say yes to everyone. That's a pleasing thing, isn't it? It is. And that's what we are as veterinary. I mean, I feel like most of them most are that like we're yes people. We're like the people pleasers, you know, why? Because we live in an age of social media too. They're going to bash. I had a woman that said that too. She's like, if you don't do this spay on my dog, like it was a pile, I'm going to bash you all over social media. Okay. You know, like you don't do like, who says that to somebody? And so I do want to drive back a point that you said too. I'm sorry if I'm like, distra- but I did, you said something about, you know, the pet parents versus like the veterinarians. And I do feel like, I know we're going to talk about this in a second, but part of my mission on social media now, because I'm a pet parent obsessed, I really am, but I'm really the biggest advocate for this profession when we deal with social media. And I'm teaching pet parents, don't be crazy. I tell them, I literally, I said, don't be crazy. And I have this tagline that I teach them on. I, I say, write this in the chat when I'm live. I want your decisions from the heart to be smart. So don't let your emotions overtake the decisions that need to be done. If your veterinarian is recommending blood work, you're going to do blood work if you can within your means. They're not trying to rack up the bill. You're not going to bash them on social media. You're not going to destroy their practice. You're going to be normal. You know, like, and I say that if you have a concern about a communication, you're going to call them. You're not going to bash them. And I want you to write that in the chat right now, everybody. I said, you're not going to bash your veterinarian or veterinary hospital. And they do it because they know that's my platform. Yeah. You're standing in this middle ground or you're you're helping to bridge that, which I think is fantastic. Before moving on, I just wondered, are there any other effective ways you've found of setting boundaries in either just life and in practice that perhaps any younger vets listening could benefit from hearing? 
Yeah. And you know what I, I will preface this to? I'm still learning too. I'm still figuring it out. And that's why when I go to the conferences and I listen to people like yourselves that speak, I like to learn because it's one of the toughest things that I think as a veterinarian, if I had a chat with a younger Adam Christman, I would have said to him, oh, you didn't set boundaries early in life. And so social media is a big thing because a lot of us are on there. So the DMs, the tagging, those things, pet owners will do it. And you know what you got to do? Ignore it. You have to ignore it. And you have to direct them to your hospital website or just somebody that can be in charge of it. Because your life and your time off is just that, your time off. And so don't check the blood work you know, on your day off. There's other people that'll be there that can look at the blood work or interpret your analysis, whatever it is. You have to have that clear vision of just being present with yourself when you're off. And, and that's a very, very tough thing in this veterinary profession. I, I was hearing a talk, I think not, veterinarians are the number one professionals that don't know how to turn it off because we're such dedicated workers. In other words, like on our weekends off, they're thinking about, oh, my surgery is like, yeah, let me call her with the recheck of the skin incision and take out these stitches really quick or whatever. No, like, so really checking out and th- doing those boundaries. And I'm going to say this, and this is really important. You don't get a second chance at this thing called life. No one cares about like those stitches that you need to take out in 10 days. People, you should care that you're going to go on a date night with your significant other or that you're going to go for a bike ride. Those are the moments that matter, that mean the most in life. And you can have a meaningful, purposeful, wonderful veterinary career. You're in this profession. We get it. But you don't have to be the martyr at the same time because your time off is just that, your time off. I think that's wonderful advice. As, as you were saying it, I was reminded of some... I got some stickers that I think you'll appreciate recently. And um, oh, I love stickers. And just as you mentioned date night there, I always thought, how many date nights did I go to where this ended up being a problem? <laughs> Can anyone smell anal glands? <laughs> Isn't that fun? And then the most, fe- <laughs> the most feared question in veterinary medicine, you're going to have to say this out loud for the audio version of this. Right. Let's see. Uh, could you? Oh, could you also trim his nails? Yes, love it. So Speaking true. Of boundaries, right? And are these backwards when I'm showing them for you, or are they forward? No, I can They're see. They're forward. Them. Okay, there we go. I mean, this, this is was... the only sticker that I have. That just comes... There you go, Doctor Sue. Exactly. I've got another one. I've got this is sticker off. This is terrible podcast. This is the best orthopedic answer. I ABCs I ever... of orthopedics. Let's see. A bone coming out of the skin is a very bad thing. <laughs> yes. That's, right. that's as good as I got. And then and then possibly my favorite, but I'm not sure that somebody doesn't get struck off for this one. But Right. Let's see. Laughter isn't the best medicine. What does it say? Ketamine is. <laughs> <laughs> so these are these are stickers by Vet Vinyl stickers I got. I was kind of tickled by that. Oh, I love that. Those are really, really good. So there you go. Sup. So, Something you said there just... I had a tagline for my students because I taught the vet assistant students. And at the end of the semester, I had them t-shirts that says, be an anal gland and express yourself. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Did they get like three of them for failing? They got one for passing and three for failing. Adam, I want to pull on the thread of community a little bit more, if, if that's okay with you. Because obviously... 
you know, going back. And it's it's interesting. I got into veterinary medicine and community was was absolutely one of the reasons that I did. And I never went back to I sort of tried the two days in my hometown as a relief vet, as a sort of gap between getting a a, a job elsewhere. And I always felt like I didn't want to go back to my local community because if if it didn't work for me there, where else was there to retreat to? And right. so I always felt like that would be a, a fallback if it all went horribly wrong in London or Newcastle or Sydney or wherever the hell else I ended up working. But community is something you find in odd places. And I, I get the sense that, am I right in saying that community is something that matters to you? Yeah. And if that's huge. the case, where does that come from? And how have you found it showing up in your career more recently? You know, when you feel like a sense of belonging in a community, it feels good. And I, I like to surround myself with people that have different opinions than myself, different that look different, uh, you know, all those different things, because that's where innovation comes to mind. And I've realized that more and more over the years that when you have an incredible community of anybody, that's where you learn the best, too. And so I've learned that from being here at DVM 360. One of the biggest things is I create I'm very, very intentional on who we select as our speakers. I feel like I have, am blessed in this position to move the needle of the profession the way it should be. So I want to make sure that our speakers look the way that it should be in terms of DEI education and what we're doing at these conferences. And even in the virtual space, like you're just as gifted at doing it too, is like creating that community, that ability to feel comfortable and asking any question whatsoever because we're here for each other. And I think that's what's so important is realizing that, you know, yeah, maybe someone is double boarded, triple boarded or whatever, and they're just as much fun and as and a general practitioner is valued just as important as that as a specialist. And it's the same thing as a veterinary technician, as a practice manager, because it's all about teamwork. At the end of the day, we're here for the animals. So that's where I see a lot in the educational standpoint is building this community that is full of transparency with innovation and diversity. And with that comes great education. And so best practices. I love doing that in the virtual space on my TikTok, honestly, is where I'm at the most, I would say. But I here's a fun fact. I don't know if you know this, Dave. I can't believe this. I have never missed a TikTok live stream for two years in a row. I've been going daily TikTok live for at least 45 minutes to an hour with the audience. And so answering questions. Why is that important to me? Because I'm building a community. I'm building a community of bridging that disconnect that can happen between pet parents and the veterinary professionals. And in this room, I just went live this morning. We had 5,000 people that were within the room, you know, that rotate in and out. And what there are, there's pet parents, there's vet techs, there's vet students, there's veterinarians. And we're building that sense of community to, and talking about very tough questions. Some of them are simple about ears, how do you clean their Some are like really tough and I love that, that it's a platform to let people know that we're on the same side of that exam table with you. We're on the same side of the exam table. If not, and I say this too in my life, I said, we, I guarantee you, we love your pets more than you do. <laughs> I mean, we have spent countless hours studying all-nighters, lack of good nutrition, so that way we can better serve and provide you with the best service possible for your fur babies. I guarantee you that we are not in it for the money. We are in it because we genuinely love what we do. And so building that community in that virtual space is just as important as it is in the live space when I'm at these conferences. Okay, so that's a nice maybe way to segue into more of the, the coping and the mental health and taking your experience from building 
building your profile phenomenally on not just TikTok, but Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I would love to hear, and I think this this is one of the questions the audience would be really interested in. One of the biggest things that we hear that grinds us down is, or prevents us from taking the risks we need to grow effectively, is a, not just a fear of failure, but a fear of being publicly flogged, you know, putting the stocks in social media and having rotten cabbages thrown at us and the impact on our mental well-being of that experience or just have been beaten up beaten up a little bit what advice would you give to or how do you cope with because being a very out there pet professional you must get rocks thrown at you from time to time as well i mean there's no shortage of trolls on the internet (laughs) how do you manage that but also a second question is how do you cope with that what are your strategies I think uh, staying within your niche is really important too. So I like to jive with people that get it. And I have a very simple slogan that everybody should adopt in life. I really do mean this. And, you know, let your haters be your motivators. If somebody has something negative to say, it's because they're out to get you. Like uh, I find that the comments are there to get a rise out of you. Now, fortunately, I've been fortunate enough to go for social media training and for media training to know that when somebody's trying to get a rise out of me, especially when it's live too, when you're on TikTok live, comments are flying in and they're saying the same thing over and over. You learn to ignore it. And then you have a, when again, you build a community that I will have my other followers that will go after them to be like, get out of the room. Like you're being ridiculous or whatnot. So that's in part one. And then I say this a lot, like I'm giving a talk tonight at Cornell university. And this is like something that's very personal to me. And it's about like being LGBT and inclusive. I have gotten a lot of the the F words thrown at me, you name it, I've heard it, you know, and um, it's not easy. That is something because, you know, I will tell you this too, just to cut back for a second, when I mm. knew, and I knew I was gay early on in my life, and I really, if you asked me when I said that I had personal struggles, it was the number one struggle that I had. And I don't want to say it was like a demon because it's not, but it felt like it was at the time and it felt like it was going to be my number one hindrance of being a veterinarian is like, oh my God, like, what are people going to say? People do like, it's like, it was every day, every day I was always thinking of it. I was so jealous of people, the straight people that understood their sexuality. They could be like out there about it. Meanwhile, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I want to keep it hidden because I still want to be a veterinarian. I sacrificed my own personal life for being a veterinarian. How much anxiety and inner pain did that, give you or I'll leave you living with? It was brutal. So I'll tell you a story that this is one thing that I share with the students that this hit me when when I first started practicing six months out, I was in the waiting room. Woman was frustrated with her bill and she called me an F and F, you know, the F word and in front of everybody. And you could hear a pin drop afterwards too. And this is when I was younger too. And obviously it really hurt. I mean, I instantly was crying. I was like crying. Actually, like they told me to go home. You know, it was just a terrible feeling. And then I said to myself, I said to my parents too, because they were very supportive of me. I'm so fortunate of that. And again, part of my network is having that too, like my parents. And I said, I don't think I could be a veterinarian. Like this woman just judged me on who I loved versus what I did for her dog. And, you know, my mom and dad were just like, you know, F that, you know, that's ridiculous. And everybody at the hospital was very supportive and stuff. They fired her as a client, but still stings. Words matter, you know? They were do. Words matter to the point where I'm still talking about it right now. (laughs) You know, it hurt like a son of a bitch, you know? And so, and then here I'm thinking I'm going into social media and here I am. 
And I will say it's been a very nice feeling that they'll see me with my husband now, Chris, or whatever. And I feel like now I'm in this position to show that representation matters, inclusion matters. And like my dad, God bless his soul, is not my parents are no longer with me, but my dad always said to me, Adam, being gay is just a small portion of who you are. It's important but it doesn't define you. Don't let that Mm. define you. And if people are going to judge you based on who you love, they're not your friends. And I'll never forget them saying that to me. And so, and then I realized like I'm surrounded by such a great community that I can lean on people. So I have individuals, literally Dave, such as yourself, Sue Edinger, like all the the list goes on of people that I can literally lean on and a text away and they will call me. I know it, you know? And so to your listeners, you have to surround yourself with people that will be there for you and get you through your terrible days and be there for your good days. Oh, I've got goosebumps, Adam. Oh, good ones, good ones. What powerful words from your father. Yes. I wanted to just dig in and just pull on this a little more. Let's say you've just been flamed. You're a young veterinarian, and that's just ages, so you're just a veterinarian, and you are getting attacked on social what are the do's? What are the do nots? Yeah, the do nots are not engage. Do not engage. Do not. I'll say it one more time. Do not engage. This is what they want. They want to get a rise out of you. Much as you want to get in there, <laughs> like set the record straight. You just got to go above that because guess what? Either someone will delete the comments, but you'll have your friends that are maybe followers or whatever. They'll go after them for you. So don't worry about that. And don't read the comments either. Like, Dave, I have millions of comments that are being written all over social media, right? Do you think I spend the time going into the comment section and being like, oh, my God, like, the, you know, oh, he's he's wrong about hookworms or whatever. Like, please, especially nutrition, you know? Oh, you know, politics, religion, and pet food. I, I stay away from that, you know? So, but you, you learn to get out of the comment section. Remember... You got in this profession, always stay true to your why. Why are you here? Because we need you. You're in this amazing profession. Yes, you're not going to be for everybody, but you're going to be for a majority of the people that are here. And keep your eyes on the prize and always know your why. That's important. What is your why? I don't fucking know. (laughs) I had to. I had to because I love you so much. I had to. You always like whenever you go deep, you always have to have it. I was feeling good. I have like a fun joke to just like ch- throw it out there too. But light up. So, this literally is my why. I love making people feel good. I really, really do. Whether it be taking care of their animals so they can enjoy the human animal bond or whether they feel good about themselves, I will never put anybody down. There's enough of that in this life. There really is. When I want you to think of Adam Christian, I want you to think of this is the guy that you want to talk about where when if he goes to the bathroom, like, where did he go at the party versus I'm so glad he's God, you know, (laughs) like like I'm the one that wants to be able to elevate you, support you. I'm a yes. I'm a real person is what I say. I'm not a yes person. So I'm like, no, Dave, you shouldn't do that career change because this is the reason why. But yes, Dave, you should do this because I think it's going to be fantastic for you. Blah blah blah. So. I like to surround myself around those people, but that's my why. I love to make people feel good about themselves and about their animals. So you mentioned a career change there, and I'm, I'm not going to ask you for career advice just yet, but uh, I am curious about the, you know, the change. So you've, you know, you've been in practice, you've, you've done the community vetting, you've done the ER, you're playing and building social media, and then there's at the same time, there's an organization in transition. 
that's been around for a long time. It's been based in one place for a long time. We all know that organization is uh, DVM 360 and the, the publishing company that owns it moves. There's two transitions happening here at the same time. And, and now Dr. Adam Chrisman meets DVM 360. New chapters right. for both. How did this come about? Because it's quite a big change. It's a huge change. And I, I always got to blame. <laughs> this is a good blame. A good friend of mine, Tom Tolve, who um, who no longer works at the company as another position elsewhere, but he did work. But I blame him because he told me he was taking me out to lunch to TGI Fridays for a sandwich, which I really did not get to this day. But <laughs> he took me into the company, introduced me to everybody. And I did not know that this position existed, Dave. I had no idea. I literally was going out to lunch to catch up with him. And so the individuals were just like, I was in a boardroom with chatting with a whole bunch of individuals and it was great. It was on. And I'm like, me, like you're talking to me about, <laughs> do you have the right Adam Christman? Like, and when am I going to get my burger? Is... <laughs> because I'm so hungry. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, like we, you know, you know, social media, you love to teach, like watch my stuff that I'd be giving lectures. And so I said, well, I really need to unpack this because in my mind, Dave, like I was just the next day I was going to go to work, just going to go to work. So talk about a curveball, you know? So I had to have a big chat with my husband, Chris, my brother. I chatted with people that were my best friends. This is, again, why it goes back to chatting with those people that are in your niche, that are your real people, not your yes mm -hmm. people. And so they all knew that like after losing my mom and dad, it was a little bit of toughness, like trying to do what the euthanasia stuff consistently. Like I, I was battling that part. I'm not going to lie. I had a hard time with that. And I was not in a good headspace that concerned me. So when I heard this opportunity and where I can amplify my message a little bit further about what I love to do, I said, this sounds pretty cool. And so, and I'll never forget like Chris saying to me too, he's like, you just got to go for it. You know, it's like, you're the one that told me, he's like, don't you have like this vet degree that's the strongest degree on the planet? You can always go back to practicing. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I could go back to practicing because it's the what if. What if I didn't do it? What mm -hmm. if I didn't? And I just went, I honestly just went back to practice because it's such a glorious, don't get me wrong. But what if I went back to practicing and I missed this opportunity? And I'm all about seizing something like that. So I said, I'm going to do it. And so I did it. And 48 hours later, COVID hits. <laughs> and I'm like, Kelly Clarkson, what the hell did I just do to myself? <laughs> Literally, I'm like, what the hell is happening? You know, like the end of the world. And so the going trend, Dave, this is really funny, actually. All my clients wrote this on Facebook and social media. It's like, Dr. Crispin <laughs> brought the plague. <laughs> <laughs> you left and it hit. Right. So it's still to this day, they call it the Christmas coronavirus or whatever it is, because they're like, like the whole world went upside down it's once I left. Like the comet that wipes us all out being named right. after you. It's like, oh, yay, go me. Yeah. The Christmas comet. So that happened. And uh, I mean, listen to, I mean, your listeners will appreciate this. We don't even like to change our heartworm prevention or flea and tick preventative, let alone a career change, you know, and then COVID. And I know that there's a lot of um, individuals out there in this profession that this has happened to, of course. But again, in vet school, we are taught resiliency, the ability to adapt, how to soap anything in life, subjective, objective assessment and plan. And I literally came home that day when they sent us home and they're like, we don't know when we're going to see you all again because of the, you know, the pandemic. And so like, we're all going to teach remote. 
And I'm like, okay, subjective, objective assessment plan. I got this, Adam. Like, I could do this. So I had to be leveled up and skill trained completely remote from a, uh, from a wonderful team of like over 20, 25 people that were there. But they were wonderful. We all leaned in and helped. And they felt bad for me. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible for you. And to your point, too, Dave, the company was going through that change, you know, with DVM 360. And so trying to align and be a captain of the ship to figure out how are we going to navigate through the virtual space, through education, conferences, live events, how it had to be shut down. You know, mm-hmm. what are we going to do? You know, what what stories are we going to share? So we just, we went for it and we leaned on, again, I got to give a shout out to this wonderful profession that we're in because all of you, you being one of them too, Dave, you helped us out with the virtual space and you taught and gave incredible sessions and adapted to this virtual life of having to give talks and educate and how to be engaging and pull them through. And you did it. And I, I mean, I know this isn't about me, but I do want to give you a huge shout out because you had the highest attended uh, viewers in your session because of your ability to connect and what you said mattered. And it's people like you that make me do what I do every day. Oh, bless. That is, I did not know that. And that is a, a very sweet thing for you to say. So I appreciate yes. it. Thank you. You're welcome. I love you so much. <laughs> oh, the feelings mutual. My feeling is mutual. Now, having been through this, and you've been through, and you know, we all know life is contact sport. And you have touched very lightly on something that I suspect is quite dark and losing your parents in this transition and then COVID hitting. I mean, that's getting on. How many years of just different change, tough stuff to deal with? Those are my best friends, Dave. Those, my mom and dad, my mom is my girl, you know? And, you know, she always said to me too, she's like, isn't it funny that my son happens to be my best friend? I was like, isn't it funny that my mom is my best friend too? You know, I'm welling up right now just because of my daughter and, and how good and close the relationship with my daughter. So this is already, I'm going to start weeping at this goal. Yes. Now it's true. I mean, and I think that, you know, there's a special bond that moms have with their sons, of course, too, but there is something even stronger that a gay son has with their mom. There really is. And she has been there for me through all my trials and tribulations and just being that woman for me. And so has my dad. They really have been. I mean, they know Chris. I mean, Chris and I have been together for 19 years. So he's been through the journey with me. And so talk about a one, two, three punch. Chris loses his dad the year before. And he was a police officer. And then I lost my parents after that. And then I lost Cosmo, a couple of my dog, Cosmo, the paralyzer. So like a one, two, three punch. But it's interesting, Dave, how things happen for a reason. And I say this. I said this on an interview for another podcast. It's... I felt like I was put on this earth to be a veterinarian, to deal with that one incredibly dark, tough moment where I had to put my mom down, essentially, you know? So my mom gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at the same time as my dad getting um, a stroke. So they're both hospitalized at the same time. So I lost them two months apart. And so, you know, and so trying to make that really tough decision. And I still think of it this day, you know, because I'm like, you know, I had to speak with mom's oncologist. She didn't know how severe she had pancreatic cancer. She didn't even know she was sick until I said to her, you know, please just go for an MRI because you look a little jaundicey around the eyes. And she's like, I know I'm worried about dad. We're in ICU with him and stuff. And then I'm it's so ironic to him. I'm her doctor's veterinarian <laughs> over the years. So he said to me, he's like, Adam, I just want you to know it took me about two hours 
to for me to to kind of digest what I have to tell you. And I'm like, it's bad, isn't it? She's like, he's like, it's it's really bad. It's like she's got stage four pancreatic cancer and she doesn't have long. And I was like, uh, and he knew like my you know my dad's in the hospital. So he says, what do you want to do? And I said, well, dad's going to pass. I had to keep it real. As a veterinarian, we deal with life and death situations. My brother to this day is like, I don't know how you did this and guided this decision making for our family. But I think as a veterinarian, we just have that skill set to do it because we're practical. We know when end of life is coming. And so, again, this is where I felt like I was made to step up to the plate to be their biggest voice. And I said, like, I know dad isn't going to make it. Dad passes. And so mom was able to go to his funeral and everything. And like all of our friends and family were just like, oh, my God. They saw mom. She was the day when I told you she was like yellow highlighter jaundice by the time that happened. It was just awful. And so taking care of her. And then we were at least I was fortunate. I said this like I'm so blessed that I was able to talk to mom about what her wishes wanted to be. You know, and she said to me. She goes, Adam, I'm going to tell you. And I go, Mom, I got you. Like her and I always had ESP, you know, like I got you. And I stayed at her house. I lived at her house. Uh, the house that we grew up in is our family home. And so the morning of, she said, I can't take it anymore. And I said, I got you, Mom. I said, I love you so much. You know? And so at the at the moment, the, the nurse came over and all that stuff. We were up, you know, increasing things and so forth. I had this big meltdown on her. And it, it just, I didn't expect to happen, but it just happens, you know? And she's like, she goes, sweetheart, she says, you have to calm down. She's not ready to let go because she knows you're upset. And so I talked to her and I held on to her hand. I said, mom, I love you so much. And I, you know, please take care of the other dogs for me that are coming over with you. Cause we promised she's like, I'll take care of them all. And she went very peaceful. And, you know, I couldn't have asked for anything more beautiful to be with her at her final moments there. And then I had to go to work. <laughs> I, I know. So you know, when we talk about community and we go back to that role, I will say as tough it was to be the veterinarian in a community, boy, they stepped up, you know, everybody, everybody, my high school teacher, everyone knew what I was going through, me, my brother and with Chris and stuff. And uh, it was incredible. And they're also like, how are you doing this? And I thought I had it, Dave. I really did think I had it. And I'm not going to lie. I was like, okay, I'm good. But there was a moment on a Friday night when I was euthanizing a dog. I remember sitting in the car and I was like, just crying, just crying. Like I said, oh my God, I wish my mom was here. I wish my dad was here. I wish Cosmo was here. like, you know, and Chris is like, I'm here. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same, but he was so good. I got to give him a huge shout out though to Chris because he said, you don't have it. And again, this is where you have somebody that's real. He's like, no, you don't. And he's like, I know you try to be all strong and, and he's like, I've been with you for a long time, Adam. And he's like, I think you're due for a change. So that mounted with this decision to come to DVM 360. It just seemed like the right decision. And it really was. And I'm, I'm so proud of where I'm at. And I say to this day, like, I hope I made mom and dad proud because they know that um, I'm so passionate about being a veterinarian. And people still say, like, how are you strong? I said, well, we all suffer through death. We've had everybody. And Mary Gardner, our wonderful friend that you love too, Dave, like, we, I've talked to her about this and like having these conversations, it's a beautiful thing when you're there to, you know, to let them cross over and we all go through loss, but it's all how you go about dealing with that loss moving forward. Because she said to me, mama, she's like, don't you dare. She's like, be miserable. She's like, I swear to God, I'll slap you outside the head if I find out you are. <laughs> and I was like, no, I won't. 
She's like, I still want you to do great work. Like you're, you're doing God's work by, you know, being a veterinarian and taking care of them. So, and I, I still hope that I make them proud by doing this, but I know I do. I feel it. Well, uh, well, thank you for sharing that. Oh, you got me going as well. <laughs> oh, I but, and that, but, um, no, I'm sure you, you make everybody proud, Adam. Yeah. What incredible. It's the saddest, hardest thing when it's the best, beautiful thing to say goodbye, yeah. right? It is like, you just want one more day, just one more day with them, you know? And again, it goes back to my perspective. Dave changed so much because of the fact like, yeah, those files, they can wait. That client call that can wait, watch TV with your kids, get on the floor with your dogs, be silly, go out for a walk with your significant other. The little things in life don't matter. (laughs) They don't. Before you say something about why she's late or why, especially now where we're in this pandemic together, think before you speak. Is it really worth for me to have this conversation about someone that's going to maybe upset them versus like having more of a productive conversation? I mean, my whole mindset completely changed, Dave, where I'm like, the little things don't matter. They don't. I love that. And thank you for sharing what is a you know, clearly a, a raw and difficult thing to live through and process and but, but quite a such a powerful thing to have heard. You're a complete Disney oh my nut God. job. Like, I, I mean, I, seriously, I, I say that lovingly. No, there's something <laughs> wrong with me. I don't know what it is. Like, <laughs> you know, Adam, the, the thing I get. <laughs> look at this. Look at this. Look at this. I got the that, dog. this toy. Is that the Toy Story one? Is that you know it, Dave? Look at this, and it's like a party. But look, he's like raving. <laughs> <laughs> this is basically your whole life made into right? one toy. Right? It's, I, right? It sums up my life. Like, when I talk about this disease, I use this. I go, this is what IBDD is. <laughs> and I go, this is what happens. I go, I show them the bottle. I go, this is what happens. <laughs> this this is for the audio. This is for the audio. A toy of the uh, the sort of, uh, what do you slinky call the slinky spring dog? The slinky yeah. dog from Toy Story that Adam's holding up there. Disney is quite a remarkable thing, but not just, you've not just consumed it, you've studied it entirely. What have you learned about Disney that you know to be true, you you believe firmly in and bring to your life and work? Yeah, no, thank you for mentioning this, because this is a huge part of who I am. And so I, I love it so much. I went back to school, I got my MBA degree, and my master's thesis is on the Disney customer service model. And so, I mean, it's one thing is I love the nostalgic, but I'm customer obsessed. I really, I'm pet parent obsessed. It taught me how to deliver messages and what are things that are important to exceeding client expectations. And this can translate obviously into any all thing, but you know, there are keys for success too. For example, I love their customer compass. It's, you know, North, South, West, East. It stands for uh, needs, wants, stereotypes, and emotions. And so, you know, you keep that one simple tool that you know is like, what are the needs of your clients? What are the wants, which are different? You know, what are the emotions? Because every a decision is based upon an emotion. And then what are some of the stereotypes that we have or preconceived notions that we have are, of their guests versus our clients, which we do all the time. Sometimes we like, oh, they drive up in a Rolls Royce, like, oh, they're going to spend everything, but they tend to not, whatever. So, but understanding that is really important because I say this all the time, like, I don't want to meet your expectation. I want to exceed it. And how do you do that? Well, Disney treats everyone like a VIP and the I is different. It's not, everyone should be understood. You're all important. It's the I stands for individualized. 
How can I make sure that I deliver a great experience to Adam Christman? I know that he's got dachshunds. So maybe I'll put a screensaver up in the exam room that's got a cute dachshund picture coming up. Or I'll even give like some dachshund squeaky toys. Like if I know a client, and I've done this over the years too. If I have a French Bulldog client coming in, I will wow them. (laughs) Cat parents coming in. I'll make sure the lights are a little dimmer. I'll make sure that we have nice warm towels. Like you want to deliver that concierge service. And I speak about this too in the the lectures because I'm so passionate about it. And it's such so many easy things to do. Even the euthanasia, we talk about it with Mary Gardner too. Like you can deliver a five-star euthanasia experience and make it incredible. And you and I know most of the gifts that we get is because of the euthanasia experience, not because of that incredible surgery, that foreign body that took you five hours to do that you wish you had some edible arrangement for, but most mostly because you had great bedside matter and like end of life care. So that's what I love about the Disney model is that you can rinse and repeat so many of these models throughout what we do both in and out of the exam room. It's what I do in life. I really is. It's a fascinating thing just to sort of experience, whether it's through the movies or any of the the sort of media that they create right up to just experiencing a theme park. There is something irritatingly captivating about the experience. I would really prefer I didn't like and to say that out loud, but I really do. Because you know what it is too, Dave, that they do such a great job and that you and I do, especially you, and you know you do it, is you're an incredible storyteller. You are an incredible storyteller. And you know that's how you educate and cause impact by creating a great story. Like when I watch the book of Boba Fett on Disney Plus, I cry because there's the baby Yoda that's there. And I think of my childhood of when Yoda was around too, and Luke Skywalker is around. And so when you hear of a vet hospital, it's been around for 50 years, and this is the third generation of a veterinarian that's owning this practice. It makes you feel good. I want to do business with you because I enjoy that storytelling that you're telling with us, right? So it's, totally. it's everything. Yeah. What things should vet practices take away? Like, you, you know, you have your MBA, are there three bits of advice that you would give to any practice owners, listeners, or or just the veterinarians in the practice? Like what would be the three most impactful things that they that from your brain? I would say storytelling is essential. And with that is an umbrella term of everything too. Setting clear expectations and communicating. You know, 95% of the complaints are from I wasn't told or communication. So yeah. setting a really great expectation and having a good story to tell is always important whether it be something relatable. If if the dog is wearing your favorite, even if it's a sports team that you disagree with or whatever, and I don't know anything about football, but I act like I do when I'm in the exam room, you know, <laughs> because it creates an emotion. You're creating a connection. So storytelling is number one. And the number two thing I would say is know the differences between the needs and wants of your clients. You know that they need a dental. You know that they need heartworm prevention, but their wants are going to be different. They're doing it because they want them to live longer. They care. And so always, always realize that needs and wants are a little bit different for everybody because the value of the human animal bond is so different across people. And so we're not here to put judgment on them. We're there to take care of it, but understand what their needs and wants. And that takes a little bit of time as a seasoned practitioner to figure out what the needs and wants are. And the number three thing that I would say is be you. Celebrate you. And with that comes your mental health, too, taking care of yourself. And I, I talk about this a lot. I, I mentioned this when I talk about the, to the vet schools, is that how many of you get on the floor with your dog or your cat? How many do it? Because 
That's your why. That's the reason why. That dog that you had, that cat, or that hamster, whatever it is, that's your why of why you're being a veterinarian. Be silly. Be goofy. That's what they want because it's a good vitamin for your soul to realize, you know what? You're a pet parent too. So when that little skin tag was a good, huge concern of Mrs. Smith and you're talking about her because she brought the dog in over her skin tag, what if it was you and you saw that skin tag? Would you be a little concerned too, not knowing what that is? It could be a tumor. It could be whatever it is. You don't know. So if it's a concern to them, it's a concern to you because you're a pet parent at the end of the day as well. Fantastic. I'm super conscious of time and how I'm like, how, wait, how did that much Where did time, time go? already? I know it's right? ridiculous, right? I've got three last questions. One first one's, so what is your favorite Disney movie? Oh, how, how dare you? Good day to you, doctor. Good day, doctor. <laughs> I, I, I know. I'm like, that's going to be one of the hardest questions yeah. I could possibly ask you. I have it divided into two. Look at me. So up number is oh, definitely a movie. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I named Carl. Carl, my dog is named Carl from Mr. Hendricks and the old man from Carl because they look like scruffy old men. Why are her dachshunds? So why not? And I just love the message behind there, too. You know, like adventure is out there because I, I say that all the time. And when like the, when she passes away, you know, there's just a lot of connections in there, of course, you know. So I love that. And listen, I'm a little Elsa in me, too. So I love Frozen. You know, because so, you just in life, you just got to let shit go. You just got to let it go. And um Great message, great storytelling again, two powerful, great songs. So, yeah. What about you? I got to ask you. This is easy. I've got a one, two. So my second favorite is Brave, obviously. Oh, uh, although I think that's, uh, yeah, it was Pixar, wasn't it? But that's Disney owned yeah. now, so I can say that. Yeah, yeah, with Merida. Yes. And what well, interestingly, I was, I was doing a walk with my dad, uh, the West Highland Way from Glasgow up to Fort William in Scotland, and there's this really ancient feeling piece of woodland just outside a place called Crean Larach. And the path is, you know, it's green on either side. It's like nice, like Scottish green, not just green. It's like, yeah, yeah. green. And, the, and it's a path of almost pine needles. So it's kind of a, a, a very a brown, but kind of an orange, brilliant kind of color. And I'm looking up this path of pine forest and there's mist. And it's the weirdest thing because there's wind. And it's like, how the, could be mist and wind? They don't usually go together. But sure enough, there was mist sitting in the trees and it was quite clear everywhere else. And you just got the sense of ancientness and weirdness. And we walk in this path through a bit and there's these little piles of standing stones. I've never felt so connected and so goosebumps. Like I felt I could feel the ancient spirits of the forest as I was walking through here. And it was, it felt like being in what Brave was trying to portray in this ancient place of Scotland. I like that because I, obviously being Scottish, I'm biased. But Moana. Oh, yeah. Another good one. Just the connection yeah. to water. And, Phenomenal. Yeah. And just the, uh, there's, there's something about that, that story I, I just adore as well. Yeah. So, and takes me back a few years from my daughter was a bit younger and, and beautiful moments there as well. Yeah. So, so that would be my favorite. The next question is easier. Adam, I, I need to have you on for around two at some point. Uh, I know you're a busy man, but at some point in the future, there's, at least two pages of questions I just didn't get anywhere near, as is always the case. But I, I know there's so much phenomenal stuff to learn and to hear from you. And the last question is, as we wind up, are there any parting thoughts for now? And by the way, we'll, we'll link up to your book and, and to your show and to all your socials right. and things for anyone who wants to dig in more. I wonder if there's any last parting messages that you would have 
for the listeners today. And where do you, it sounds like TikTok's the place you prefer to be engaged with the most. So please tell us all where we can get even more Dr. Adam Chrisman. I mean, listen, like if you want to see the party and the craziness that I do, like I'm not a dancer, I don't dance on there, but like I make it, I am full of jokes. So Christman 52 on TikTok is where it's at. It's a lot of fun. It's a great community that are there. So I love that. And I'm also on Instagram too, Adam underscore Christman, but you know, wherever you want to find it's fine. But I think the number one thing is I really do mean this. I said, life is too short. You know, life is too short. So just go for it. You know, so if you're thinking about doing anything, like, should I go out to dinner with my friends tomorrow night? How many times do you have to say, oh, we got to get together? Oh, we got to get together. Right. And I mean, one thing that I did love of Silver Lining about the pandemic is like, I had so many Zoom calls from my classmates and like people that I wanted to connect in. I feel like we're connecting more and more. And I hope that that momentum continues to happen in person too, Mm -hmm. because you do need to get together. So when somebody says we got to get together, don't let it be at a funeral or a wedding. Like, let it be like, have a cup of coffee, go out have something, drinks or dinner or something like that. I think it's just so important to stay connected to your people. You have to. It's just so important. I love it. Adam, thank you so much for a slice of your extremely valuable time. I know you're super busy, but I appreciate you. Great to get to know you, spend a little more time. And I, I, in that vein, cannot wait for, because we've never actually met for real in person. I feel like we're going to have a dirty dancing moment where I think, so I think what I'm going to do is like, I'm going to do the lift and pick you up. (laughs) Nobody puts Davey in the corner. Right, right. So we're going to do like, you know, the lift. Time of my life. And I'm going to hold you up like you're Simba from The Lion King. Ah, Saminga, Baba Sisi, Babo. All right, we're gonna we're gonna have to get that on video. Yes, definitely. Jesus wept. Okay. All right, I, it's a deal. I'm up for it. Let's do it. Good to see. Thank you for having me on. Really, pleasure is mine. Take care. Right before you pop off, don't forget to say thank you to Adam for being such a great guest on the show. You can shout him out on the socials, and if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it with somebody you think needs to hear it or leave us a review on iTunes both things would be much appreciated and don't forget we have a sister show maybe two one's called That Vet Life Podcast with the wonderful Dr. Mariah McCauley hosting and the Veterinary Business Success Show with the awesome Brendan Howard until next time on Blunt Dissection all that remains for me here to say be safe be well and be happy Dr. Dave out <laughs>